أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم I begin in the name of the Almighty God, the Compassionate, the Merciful. The one who has created everything in utmost perfection. And may the peace and blessings of the Almighty God be upon his pure and beloved messenger, the peak of his creation, the symbol of humanity, the Holy Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi And his immaculate, pure progeny of the Ahlul Bayt, peace be upon them, especially the leader of our time, the awaited Savior, Al Imam Al Mahdi, Ajjalallahu Ta'ala Farajah. May Allah hasten his reappearance and make us all amongst his sincere and dedicated servants. Respected scholars, Brothers and sisters, Assalamu Alaikum wa Rahmatullahi wa Barakatuh. I am delighted to be with you here this evening in the Netherlands as we have gathered to celebrate and honor the birth of the Imam of our time, the 12th Imam of Ahlul Bayt, the one who represents 124,000 prophets and 11 other Imams of Ahlul Bayt. And that is our beloved Imam, Al Imam Al Mahdi Al Hujjat ibn Al Hassan, Salawatullahi alayhi. I sincerely congratulate you on his birth, which is coming up in a few days. And we ask Allah to bless us, our families and our communities, as we reflect on his birth. And the blessings that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us through the Imam of our time. Truly, he's one of the gifts that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us. In our discussion this evening, we will examine Al Imam Al Mahdi in the Holy Quran. But before we do so, and I share with you verses in the Quran about Al Imam Al Mahdi, let's get a quick glimpse of the Qur'an and the beauty of the Holy Qur'an. Sometimes in our world today, with all the distractions out there in society, with all the distractions in our homes, social media, our gadgets and devices, we forget that the Qur'an is a beautiful work of art. Yes, I said art. The Qur'an is a book of guidance, it guides us. But the one who crafted this book, your creator, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, has crafted the Qur'an in such a beautiful way, it's truly the finest art we can see. In our generation today, we love art, right? Who doesn't like art? We spend billions of dollars around the world for art. We love depictions, images, crafts, our younger generation truly loves art. When you go and visit cities, one of the top things to do in a new city is to go to a museum that has art. And there are so many different types of art. These days we have the postmodern art. Now, I myself and probably my generation, 
We don't really understand how postmodern art works like. Now you can tell I'm growing old. You see some of these paintings, they're worth millions of euros and dollars. Sometimes I look at them, all I see is squares, scribbles, paintings. I don't really understand what's going on behind this art. But it's valuable art in the eyes of many people. Interestingly, last year, there was a school in Chicago. They took them to a museum in Chicago to look at such modern art. So one of these kids, he really got bored at the museum. He would look at these paintings and he couldn't really figure out what's happening. For instance, he'd see some circles and squares and everybody's standing and they're so inspired by the artwork. So he does an interesting experiment. He takes off his glasses and he puts it in a corner of the museum. And then he starts looking at it. Wow, what an amazing piece of art. So his friends come, he's like, what is this? He says, this is part of the museum. Look at this glasses. The artist meant so-and-so when he made the lens this way and the color this way. Suddenly, after that, there was a whole long line of students and people trying to see the glasses as a beautiful form of art. So those in charge of the museum, they came, they said, what's going on? Why are you standing here? They said, we're looking at this specimen, part of the museum. They said, no, that's not part of the museum. Who put the glasses here? Then they interrogated the young man and they realized it was a prank. But people love art because it allows you to express yourself. It allows you to see the expressions of others. Now when you look at the Quran, realize that it is a book of guidance. No doubt, it's a book of Hidayah. But it's also a beautiful piece of art that not just some artist made it, the King of Kings. The one who crafted this universe, the one who inspired us art, he's the one who made this book for you. Appreciate it. Sometimes our younger generations, we feel disconnected from the Quran. Maybe one way to start that connection is to look at the beauty of this book. Truly, it's so beautiful the way Allah has made these chapters, the meanings in these chapters, the way they sound, the way the words rhyme. Our dear brother was just now reciting from Surah Al-Qiyam. Did you hear some of the rhyming sounds of these beautiful verses? In addition to the beautiful content of the Qur'an, the depth of the Qur'an, the power of the Qur'an, just the way the words sound. Allah is describing the soul when it reaches the throat area. Allah is describing death for us. That's something we will all experience. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make that a pleasant experience. But Allah talks about that in the Qur'an. Now hear how the words beautifully rhyme here. That's a beautiful work of art. At least appreciate it. These are the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They inspire you. They relieve you. They give you power. They give you strength. One of our challenges today is our mental health. Psychologically, many of us are suffering. We struggle with anxiety, we struggle with depression. Some people have suicidal thoughts. The Quran 
is your divine prescription. It's a prescription from Allah. But we don't use it as a prescription, do we? We just kiss it, use it for istikhara. Maybe if there's a wedding, we bring it and put it on the head of the bride and the groom to bless them and that's it. That's like someone going to the doctor when you have an infection and your doctor prescribes to you antibiotics. You know how we treat that prescription? Imagine you go to the doctor, you take the prescription, you take it, you kiss it, you put it on your head, and then that's it, you put it on your shelf. Is that going to heal you? The prescription means go take this medication from the pharmacy, you'll be healed. The Quran is a prescription. We have diseases of the soul, diseases of the nafs. Allah says, this is the prescription. Implement this book and you'll see how Allah will change your life. Let's truly appreciate the Quran, my dear brothers and sisters. You want science? You can find it in the Quran. Doesn't Allah state that He's constantly expanding the universe? Who knew this 14 centuries ago? You want psychological comfort? Go to the Quran. You're feeling lonely? Go to the Quran. Allah says, if anyone asks about me, I'm close. I'm with you all the time. Don't forget that. You feel lonely, you feel like no one understands you. You have Allah and His greatest angels with you. Look at Surah Ghafir verse 7. What does Allah state? Those angels who carry the throne of Allah and they surround the throne of God. They glorify their Lord, they worship their Lord. They have full faith in their Lord. What else do they do? Those great angels of God, what else do they do? And they do istighfar. They ask for forgiveness. For who? For those who believe. Sometimes you feel weak. I'm small, insignificant here on earth. I feel lonely, no one understands me. Realize Allah has assigned His greatest angels to pray for you. That gives you strength. That gives you power. The Qur'an is the solution to all of our problems, my dear brothers and sisters. But unfortunately, some of us have abandoned the Qur'an and that's why we struggle. Make the Qur'an your best companion. Enjoy reading the Qur'an, be inspired. Look at the artwork in the Qur'an, let that inspire you. That's the beauty of this book. And hence the Prophet ﷺ stated, if you want success, I leave two things after me. They're very heavy and important. The Book of Allah and my family, the Ahlul Bayt. They shall never separate until they meet me at the Hawd, at the pool. Let's hold on to the Qur'an. And tonight we have gathered to implement this hadith of the Prophet because Imam Al-Mahdi represents the Ahlul Bayt and the Qur'an is the Book of Allah. When we join these two, we shall find, find true guidance. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will protect us from any deviation from going astray. So this beautiful Quran, does it talk about Imam al-Mahdi? Because he's one of our beliefs. One of our very important beliefs is to believe in the Imam of our time. Are there verses in the Quran that speak about the Mahdi? Because if someone comes and tells you, you're a Muslim, you follow the Quran. I need proof from the Quran that you believe 
And the Mahdi, do you have any evidence? My dear brothers and sisters, the beauty of the path of Ahlul Bayt, we the followers of Ahlul Bayt, everything we believe in, there is a basis for it in the Quran. We get the details from Hadith, yes. But the basis, the foundation is in the Quran. I challenge anyone, any belief that we have, there is a reference for it in the Quran. One day a brother came up to me, he told me, you believe in Wilayat Taqwiniya, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given the Imams supernatural powers, for instance. They have access to the knowledge of the unseen, for instance. They see our book of records or Imam Ali alayhi salam lifting the door of Khaybar with that supernatural power. You believe in that? I said, yes, I believe in that. What is the issue here? He said, show me proof in the Quran. I told him, I will show you proof in the Quran. Everything we believe in, there's evidence in the Quran. He said, really? That's mentioned in the Quran? I said, yes, the basis of it is in the Quran. He said, how? I told him, put two verses together and you'll see that the Imams of Ahlul Bayt do have Wilayat Taqwiniyan, the natural physical authority, the supernatural virtues that Allah has given them. The first verse, Surah An-Nam, verse 40, Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala speaks about the aid of Prophet Sulaiman Asif ibn Barkhiyah, he was his aid and he was his representative, his successor. The Quran tells us, that the one who had some knowledge of the book, he had some knowledge of the book. I can bring the huge throne of Bilqis, Bathsheba, from Yemen to Palestine. You're looking at more than a thousand kilometers, the distance from Yemen to Palestine. Huge throne, 40 men could not carry it. He said, I can bring it within a blink of an eye. How did he do that? Because he has some knowledge of the book. See, so the Quran tells us if you have access to that divine book, you can do supernatural things. Well, Allah tells us in Surah Al-Ra'd, the very last verse, verse 43. The Prophet told the pagans who rejected Islam, Allah is my witness. And who else is with me here? To witness the one who has the full knowledge of the book. When you look at the tafsir, this verse was, was revealed in honor of Ali ibn Abi Talib He's the one who has ilmul kitab. He has the full knowledge of the book. And the Quran tells you, if you have some knowledge of the book, you can do something supernatural like that. Imagine if you have full knowledge of the book. Allah gave the Ahlul Bayt the full knowledge of the Quran, the full knowledge of that divine book. So the basis is there in the Quran. Don't be surprised. Everything we believe in has a basis in the Quran, including our belief in Al-Imam Al-Mahdi Now let me ask you a question. How many verses do you think we have in the Quran? Not about Imama in general, no. About specifically Al-Imam Al-Mahdi, Al-Qa'im min Ali Muhammad Ta'ala how many verses do you think we have? Can you make some guesses? 86. 86? Okay, that's a specific number. <laughs> Any other numbers? You're, you're pretty close. Any other numbers? 
How many verses in the Quran, when you look at the tafsir and the inner depths and the layers and the ta'weel, how many verses do we have in the Quran that refer to Imam al-Mahdi? We have at least 120 verses in the Quran about the Imam of your time. See how important the belief in the Mahdi is. The great scholar, as Sayyid Hashim al-Bahrani, he actually has a book called Al-Mahajja Fi Ma Nazala Fil Qa'im Al-Hujjah. The clear path that gathers what has been revealed in Qa'im Al-Hujjah, in Imam Al-Mahdi. He lists 120 verses from the Quran and their tafsir, they're all about Imam Al-Mahdi. And we definitely have more than that. But a lot of the knowledge may have not even reached us from the Imams of Ahlul Bayt due to books being lost in history. What has survived is the tafsir of 120 verses today. Imagine the significance and the importance of Imam al-Mahdi. Now we can go on for days and days examining all 120 verses. But I have chosen to share with you briefly in our discussion tonight, 12 verses. 12 in the honor of the number of the Imam Let's briefly look at these verses so we know that the Quran points us to the Imam of our time. The first verse that I will share with you is verse 105 of Surah Al-Anbiya. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala states in Surah Al-Anbiya verse 105, بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وَلَقَدْ كَتَبْنَا فِي الزَّبُورِ مِنْ بَعْدِ الذِّكْرِ Allah says we have written in the Zabur. What is the Zabur? Anyone knows? The book of Prophet Dawood Yes, Zabur Dawood. Zabur is like the Quran that he had. You know how our book, the book of Prophet Muhammad is the Quran? The book that Allah revealed to Prophet Dawood is called the Zabur, the Psalms. Allah says we have written in the Zabur, min ba'di dhikr, after the dhikr. What is the dhikr over here? One tafsir tells us the dhikr is the Torah, the book of Prophet Musa Another tafsir is the Holy Quran. Allah says we've written in the Zabur, in the Torah, in the Quran, this earth shall be inherited by my righteous servants. One of the tafsirs of this verse is that this will fully be realized when the Imam السلام, reappears and he establishes global justice and the righteous ones will inherit the earth and they will rule the earth with justice. Look at this verse. When has this happened, my dear brothers and sisters? When in history have the righteous ones inherited the entire earth and they've established justice all across the earth? When did that happen? That has not happened in history. So Imam al-Sadiq teaches us the ta'wil of this verse, the inner deeper application of this verse has not happened yet. Because where, you, where do you see the world Beautifully run by the righteous ones, implementing the true law of God, the mercy of God, the justice of God that has not happened in history. This will happen 
when the Qa'im will rise and he will establish justice on earth and the righteous ones with him will inherit the earth. Therefore, that is one beautiful verse that we have in the Quran that refers to the Qa'im who will fill the earth with justice and equity. The second verse in the Holy Quran that refers to Imam al-Mahdi, we have actually three verses about this. But this is what the verse states. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Huwa alladhi arsala rasoolahu bilhuda wa deen al-haq. You have three verses that start like that. He is the one who sent his messenger with guidance and the true religion, the true deen, the true path. So that this deen from God prevails over all other religions, dominates over all other paths. Now you have two verses that end with the following. Surah At-Tawbah, verse 33, and Surah As-Saf, verse 9. And you have a third verse in Surah Al-Fatih, verse 28, in which Allah ends the verse, And it is sufficient that Allah has the witness. Now question, when has this happened in history? That this deen, the final deen, the final religion of the final prophet prevails over all other religions. And everyone is inspired by this religion and everyone follows it. When has, had, when has this happened in history? This has not happened in history. Yes, today Islam is the second largest religion. But still, there are many people who don't know what this faith is. They've misunderstood Islam. And Islam has not prevailed all over, over all other religions. The application of this verse to the fullest extent has not occurred yet. So the Imams of Ahlul Bayt told us, we'll tell you when that will happen. This will happen when Allah allows the Qa'im to rise and He will establish the full religion of Allah and everyone will accept the religion of Islam because they will see the clarity of the truth. In our discussion tomorrow, inshallah, we'll examine what Imam al-Mahdi will do after he establishes his global government and how will the people accept? Is it going to be by the sword and by fear? Or is it going to be by the clarity of the truth? We'll examine that tomorrow. But this beautiful verse tells us that one day the religion of God will prevail over all religions. That will happen during the era of Imam al-Mahdi. So this verse beautifully reminds us to wait actively for that day. There will be a day in which you'll see the beautiful religion of God all over the world and everyone will be inspired by it. Let's now examine the third verse in the Holy Quran that relates to Imam al-Mahdi. This is Surah An-Nur, verse 55. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala states, Allah has given you, O believers, a promise. He's made a promise. And when Allah makes a promise, Allah fulfills it. Allah's not like me. He's not like us. We give promises left and right, and we break our promises. One of the true qualities of a mu'min is that he or she keeps their promise. My dear brothers and sisters, either don't give a promise, you're not forced to promise. If you really can't, it's difficult for you, say no from the beginning. 
It may be difficult for you to say no, but it's better than to promise someone and then break your promise. That hurts them more. Sometimes people are relying on you. They're counting on you. And one of the most difficult areas that I always see this happening and people are let down is in relationships. Many of our youth these days, they don't know what a proper relationship is. We take it loosely. We're just having fun with one another. Yeah, this person is going to stay with me. I'll end up marrying them. And then once you fall in love and that person becomes your whole universe, that person leaves you and betrays you and you become severely depressed. This happens every day in our societies. It's difficult for us to trust others because of the repeated experiences that we see. But a true mu'min is one that you can trust. If a mu'min gives you their word in business, in family issues, in social issues, in whatever issue it may be, they stick to it no matter what. Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the King of Kings, the King of the universe here says, Wa'dallahu, Allah is giving you that promise. Okay, what is that promise? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will bestow power to the righteous ones over the land. Just as Allah has given to some righteous, one in, righteous ones in the past. Here's a promise from Allah. One day the righteous ones, I'll give them that power. Maybe now they're weak, other people see them as weak. They're always persecuted. They don't have the freedom to truly worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah says, I promise one day I will give you that full freedom. And you will have that power over the land to be good citizens who invite everyone to justice. Allah will fully enable them to practice the religion of God. And Allah says, I will switch their fear with safety and security. Historically, my dear brothers and sisters, many believers, they went through fear. Even until today, many parts of the world, you're in the state of fear. People persecute you, people judge you, people misunderstand you. One hadith, and this one's really moving, my dear brothers and sisters. One hadith from Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib He says, لا يكون هذا الأم. This matter, meaning the era of reappearance, the dhuhur of Imam al-Mahdi, will not happen until a few signs happen. One of the signs he mentions, he says, Things will get so bad in some societies, you cannot say Allah publicly anymore. You can't say God. You have to say it privately, secretly. Don't we see that today in some parts of the world? Today in some public schools, can you say God? Can you bring God? There's no God. In the universities, God's out of the equation. Schools, God is out of the equation. Everyone's making laws and rules except God. We care about everyone's laws except the laws of God. This is happening. Honestly, there are some believers today, they have fear. If I'm known to be a Muslim, a practicing Muslim, I fear. How will others look at me? Many of you sisters, you might be in a situation where you're concerned. 
For instance, about your hijab, about how you appear. About our belief systems. Today there are challenges in society. The LGBTQ issue. There is fear on behalf of many of you, if you even want to express your opinion. Isn't this a free society? Don't I have freedom of expression? No, no, no. Only in some areas you have freedom of expression, not in other areas. Allah says, this will be replaced. The Imams of Ahlul Bayt have explained to us, this will happen during the era of the Mahdi, when Allah will give security to the believers and they will truly have that freedom and no one will persecute them anymore. Sallu ala Muhammadin wa ali Muhammad. Even at the time of the Prophet this was not fully realized. There were hypocrites in Medina, there were troublemakers, enemies. The believers did not have full security. So we know that the taqweel and the application of this verse has not happened yet. It will happen during the era of the zuhur of the Imam Let's examine the fourth, the fourth verse in the Holy Quran. That's Surah Al-Qasas verse 5. Allah states, وَنُرِيدُ أَنَّ مُنَّ عَلَى الَّذِينَ اسْتُضْعِفُوا فِي الْأَرْضِ وَنَجْعَلَهُمْ أَئِمَّةً وَنَجْعَلَهُمُ الْوَارِثِينَ Allah says, I want to bestow my favor on those who have been deemed weak in the land, those who have been persecuted. And I want to make them as imams and the inheritors of the earth. The tafsir of this verse is Al-Imam Al-Mahdi. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will choose him to be the Imam to inherit the earth along with the righteous ones. So if someone asks you about verses from the Quran, about the Mahdi, share with them these verses. By the way, many of these verses that I'm sharing with you, many of them, they're not just found in Shia sources. The verses I'm quoting for you, even in Sunni sources we have Evidence that they're pointing to the Mahdi. And the Sunnah, they believe in the Mahdi. They just don't believe generally that he's been born or that he's the son of Imam al-Hassan al-Askari. But they believe in the Mahdi. Because they have so many hadiths from the Prophet about the Mahdi. And so we even have in Sunni sources that a lot of these verses point to the Mahdi. So know these verses and share it with others. And be proud that you're following the Holy Quran by having a strong link with the Imam of your time, with Imam al-Mahdi Let's now move on to the fifth verse in the Holy Quran. Surah Al-Hijr, verse 36 to 38. After Iblis disobeyed God, he negotiated. Yes, he was slick. He knows how to negotiate, of course, for his destruction, not for his goodness, but he knows how to negotiate. He told him, oh God, now that I refuse to do sujood to Adam, and you've kicked me out of heaven, and now I'm cursed, let me negotiate. At least I did worship you. One sujood, as one hadith states, 4,000 years or 6,000 years. Give me some credit here. Allah said, okay, what do you want? He says, Give me time, give me a long life until the day of judgment. Allah told him, He thinks he can outsmart God. God can negotiate better than you can. Allah says, okay, I'll accept your negotiation, what you're asking for, partially, not fully. 
I'll give you that long life. But not till the day of judgment. What does the Quran state? What does the Quran state? Until the fixed day. But Allah doesn't say which day that is. He asked to stay until the day of judgment. Allah says, I'll give you time till that fixed day. I'll give you a long life. But till that fixed day. What fixed day is that? Come to the hadith of Ahlul Bayt In one very beautiful hadith, Al-Imam As-Sadiq was explaining the application of this verse. The Imam السلام, told him, do you think that this is the day of judgment? No. That fixed time, that fixed day is not the day of judgment. That is the day when the Qa'im will rise and he will go to the Masjid of Kufa and his companions are gathered around him when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings Shaytan Iblis before the Qa'im. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will command the Mahdi to kill Shaytan and he will kill him on behalf of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So during the era of the reappearance, when the Imam reappears, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts an end to the devil to Iblis. And Imam al-Sadiq states, that's al-waqt al-ma'loom. And that's why the intellect of the people will be complete. Shaytan's out of the way, now you just have your nafs. So it's easier. Allah will help us with the barakah of Imam al-Mahdi So this is another verse in the Holy Quran that points to the Imam of your time. And why every single day we ask Allah to hasten his reappearance. Because that's true relief. With shaitan out of the way, life will be much better. The sixth verse in the Holy Quran that we have is Surah Al-Baqarah verse 148. Wherever you are, Allah will gather you. Now yes, this applies to the day of judgment, sure. Wherever we die and wherever we're buried, Allah will gather our bodies on the day of judgment. But what's a deeper understanding of this verse? The Imams of Ahlul Bayt have explained to us. The deeper understanding of this verse is that when Al-Imam Al-Mahdi will rise in Mecca and he starts his global revolution, Allah will gather the 313 of his followers from all around the earth to go in Masjid Al-Haram. And one hadith states, Allah will gather them just like the clouds move and gather. It will be by the power of Allah. Wherever they are, Allah will bring them. That's the ta'wil, the inner meaning of this verse. Wherever you are, Allah will bring you, He'll gather you. Meaning, all oh, companions of the Mahdi, wherever you are, Allah will gather you in Mecca to support the Imam of your time. That's a beautiful verse in the Quran that reminds us of how Allah will support the Mahdi through the 313 and then other supporters will join. Some people think only the 313 will help the Imam. No, that's the closest group to the Imam, the best of this best. The top companions, but the Imam has many other supporters. Outside of the 313, the next circle of companions is 10,000. They will also gather to help the Imam of their time. And then you have other supporters. But the 313 are the closest to the Imam. They are very high ranking believers. And some of them are women. Yes, we have hadiths that out of the 313, 50 of them are women. They are part of the 313. And even the 10,000, many of them are women. The Imam will give 
them the opportunity to help him establish that global just government. Let's now move to the seventh verse in the Holy Quran. Surah Al-Isra, verse 33. Don't kill the innocent soul. That's haram in the law of God to kill someone innocently. Unless you're killing in truth. Meaning, if it's retribution. You have a person who commits an act of murder in society. Allah has given the family the right to seek the death penalty. Because Allah teaches us in the Holy Quran, وَلَكُمْ فِي الْقِصَاصِ حَيَاتِ Through retribution, you save lives. If there are serial killers, murderers, they kill people. And it's proven that they are the ones who kill. There, there isn't like politics involved, right? The Holy Quran says the family has the right to seek the death penalty. Because these people are dangerous in society. And maybe through the death penalty, Allah will also forgive the one who killed. Yes, because these punishments sometimes, they reduce the sin. They purify them from their sins. So Allah says, do not kill a soul that's innocent, except if it's a truth. Except if someone is a killer and you want to stop them. Allah says, the one who's killed unjustly, I've given them authority to seek retribution. But don't be excessive. Don't go and kill other people. Historically, if one person would kill another person from another tribe, you know how they would seek revenge? They'd come back and kill the whole tribe. Allah says, no, no, it's not acceptable. You have to be just. That's why Amir al-Mu'mineen, the commander of the faithful, when he was struck by Ibn Muljan, he made a will. The Imam says, if you want to seek retribution, only kill the one who killed me, Ibn Muljan. Don't go and kill other people, saying Ali ibn Abi Talib has been killed, we want to seek revenge, let's kill his brother, let's kill his you know, family, let's kill his friends. No, you don't have the right. You have to be just. Even with your enemy, you have to be just. Your enemy killed you, just kill him only, not other people. So Allah in the Holy Quran gives us this guideline. What is the ta'wil of this verse? The Imams of Ahlul Bayt have told us, have informed us that the inner deeper meaning of this verse is Al-Imam Al-Mahdi. When he will rise, Allah will give him the authority to seek revenge from the killers of Imam Hussein. From those who murdered Abu Abdullah al Hussein. Now let me ask you a question. When Imam al-Mahdi will rise, the killers of Imam Hussein, are they present at that time? For him to seek revenge for what happened to his grandfather Hussein? We know that they died 13 centuries ago, 14 centuries ago, 12 centuries ago they died. So how will the Imam السلام, seek revenge? There are three quick ways by which we can understand it. One way is by establishing justice itself. When you have justice on earth, you sought revenge from the killers of Imam Hussein. Because the killers of Imam Hussein, when they stopped Imam Hussein and they killed him, what were they trying to stop? They were trying to stop justice. Imam al-Mahdi will establish justice. Therefore, he's seeking revenge practically. You stopped Imam Hussein from establishing justice? No, you cannot. Today there will be full justice. That's practical vengeance. You know, as they say, 
if someone's jealous of you and they want to bring you down because you're so successful, what's the best revenge you can seek from the one who's jealous of you? What's the best revenge? Any ideas? Go hit them. Go ruin their lives like they're trying to ruin your life. No. What's the best revenge? Be more successful. Continue your success. That's the best revenge that you can take from your enemies. Because your enemy does not want you to succeed. So by continuing your success, that's the best revenge. And so this is the revenge that the Imam will take by being successful in establishing justice. And that's why our hadith tell us he will rise according to the hadith of Imam al-Baqir on the night of Ashura in Masjid al-Haram. Why that night? Why the night of Ashura? To tell the world you think you stopped my grandfather Hussein from bringing justice? No Allah. Tonight I will continue the message of my grandfather Hussein. That's practical vengeance. Number two, there are people who are vicious and even until today they're okay with what happened to Imam Hussein. They do not denounce his killer. No, he was the Khalifa of his time. I heard one of them on TV, my dear brothers and sisters. He calls himself the Grand Mufti. He says, Hussein made a mistake. He should not have stood against the Khalifa of his time. He made a mistake. Really? He made a mistake? Okay. Try explaining that to Imam al-Mahdi, inshallah, when he reappears. Let's see what happens. Such vicious people, the Imam will seek revenge from them by removing them from posts of power, from having influence in society. Enough is enough. For thousands of years, you're misguiding people, you're brainwashing people, I will stop you now. That's vengeance. So this is a beautiful verse in the Holy Quran that points us to an Imam al-Mahdi. Verse number eight, Surah Al-Baqarah, verse 155. And this one is difficult, my dear brothers and sisters. Allah says, I'll try you. How will Allah try us? Some fear. Sometimes we'll go through eras of fear, times of fear. Loss of financial money, loss of property, financial crisis. Loss of food. But give good news to the patient ones. الَّذِينَ إِذَا أَصَابَتْهُمْ مُصِيبَةٌ قَالُوا إِنَّا لِلَّهِ وَإِنَّا إِلَيْهِ رَاجِعُونَ You know what the application of this verse is today? The Imam says this will happen during the ghaybah of the Imam. His followers will be tried a difficult trial. Trial of fear. Loss of money sometimes. Sometimes because of your religion you may lose your job. Yes, be patient. Be patient. The story of Zahra Shima truly inspires me anytime I think about it. You can Google it. It was in the New York Times. A lawyer in New York, because of her hijab, no one would employ her. She finished law school, excellent grades. She'd go to the firms to do the interview. They would not accept her. Her family tried to force her to take off the hijab. And she said, I almost did. But I said, no, I have Allah with me. He'll take care of me, it's okay. Be patient. Life is a trial. We say we believe. Really? Show it. Allah says, show it. When you go through difficulty, show me that you care about my laws. Show me. And then I'll give you the highest ranks. Well, what happened to her? 
seven interviews, she would be denied. She almost gave up the eighth interview. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opened the doors for her and they accepted her. And then they interviewed her and other lawyers in her firm in New York. They said, this lady, this Muslim lady is one of the best lawyers we have in this company. And we're all proud of her. Americans, non-Muslim Americans were saying that. Her demeanor, her akhlaq, her attitude, the love that she has for her religion. Now she became a star, now. But she went through a trial. Allah says, you will go through trials because of your job, because of finances. But remember, Allah is there. Allah is the razzaq, don't worry. Sometimes we're trying to get a job and life is difficult for us. It's okay, be patient. That's one of your trials. Be strong, be patient. Allah will be there for you. Do not give up. So the Imam says, this will happen during the ghaybah. The trial will intensify. But وَبَشِّرُ الصَّابِرِينَ In the end, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives you relief. Verse number 9. وَالْعَصْفِ إِنَّ الْإِنسَانَ لَفِي Allah makes an oath in Asr. One of the meanings of Asr is time. The era, the time. What does the tafsir of Ahlul Bayt teach us? This is a reference to which era? One of the meanings of the surah, المهدي, the era of Imam Al-Mahdi and his reappearance. That's why we call him Imam Al-Asli Wal-Zaman, right? Sahib Al-Asli Wal-Zaman. He's the Imam of the era. This beautiful word is taken from Surah Al-Asr. Allah takes an oath, Wal-Asr. The human being is in loss. Who? The one who's not prepared for the Imam of his time, he will lose. Except those who have solid faith in Allah, in the Ahl Bayt, in the Imam of their time. They do good deeds, they help one another and they carry the wilay of Ahl Bayt. They will not be at loss, they will be the winners. Let's be among the winners inshallah. Verse number 10 in the Holy Quran. Surah Al-Mulk, verse 30. Anyone memorize that? Last verse in Surah Al-Mulk. قُلْ أَرَأَيْتُمْ إِنْ أَصْبَحَ مَاءُكُمْ غَوْرًا فَمَنْ يَأْتِيكُمْ بِمَاءٍ مُعِينٍ This verse is saying, say if your wells dry, if you don't have water, have you experienced the drought? Alhamdulillah, you have rain throughout the year here in the Netherlands. Ask desert people who if they don't have rain for a while, they'll die, their crops will die, their animals will die. Allah says, if your water dries up. Who's going to bring you sweet water other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? The application of this verse is Al-Imam Al-Mahdi. The Imam of Ahlul Bayt taught us, if you don't have access to your Imam, if your Imam is in ghaybah, who's going to bring you pure knowledge from Allah? Who's going to give you guidance? In other words, appreciate the Imams that you have. You know one reason why Imam Al-Mahdi went into occultation in the first place? There are many reasons. One of them is a trial. One of them is to give us time to achieve completion for his government. But one of the reasons is every single Imam was killed and betrayed. Every single Imam. Even the followers of the Imam who claimed to be the Shias of the Imam, many of them betrayed their Imams. Allah said, no, no, no. This last one I'm going to say, enough is enough. Prophets, you kill them. Imams, you kill them. I will save this one for that era, when people appreciate the Imam of their time. And so Surah Al-Mulk, verse 30, reminds us of this reality. 
If Allah takes your Imam, you think you can figure things out? Look at the world today. You think we have things figured out? Look at the wars happening. Look at the poverty. Look at the depression. Look at the corruption. Every single day, 30,000 kids die from starvation or malnutrition. Every day, every day. Not every year, every day. You do the math times that three by 365. You think we live in a peaceful, good world? Alhamdulillah, there are good people doing good things. But look at the world, it's becoming filled with injustice. Even rich nations and advanced nations, there's a lot of injustice that happens. There's a lot of corruption that happens. And so the believers come to know that truly the Imam of their time is their only hope. We have to come to this realization. Let's appreciate the Imams Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us, my dear brothers and sisters. Let's now go to verse 11, just two more. Remember, there are 120. So I have had mercy on you tonight just by sharing 12. The 11th verse, Surah Hud, verse 86. Baqiyatullahi khayrun lakum in kuntum mu'mineen. That which remains with Allah is better for you. Baqiyatullah. That which remains with Allah. The ta'wil of this verse, as the Imam tells us, when Imam al-Mahdi will reappear in Masjid al-Haram in Mecca, he will make a global announcement. <laughs> oh people, I am the closest one to Adam, to Ibrahim, to Musa, to Isa, to Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon them all. I am the closest one to them. And now it's time to establish justice. I invite you to come and join me. And then he says, I am Baqiyatullah. I am that which remains with Allah. Because Baqiyah is something that remains. I am the one who represents all these prophets and I am with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ana Baqiyatullahi wa khalifatuhu wa hujjatuhu. And so the hadith states every Muslim will come to him and they will greet him by saying, Assalamu alayka ya Baqiyatullahi fi ardhi. Peace be upon you, O oh, the Baqiyah of Allah on this earth. Because an Imam al-Mahdi reminds you of Allah, reminds you of Prophet Muhammad, reminds you of Imam Ali, reminds you of the Imams of Al-Bayt. Don't you wish you could see Imam Ali? Don't you wish you could see Imam Hussein? Well, what remained from all those Prophets and Imams? Al-Imam al-Mahdi, he's their remainder. You look at them, you remember all those righteous prophets and imams before him. And so people will say, As-salamu alayka, ya baqiyatullahi fi ardha. This is another beautiful verse in the Quran about the Mahdi. The last verse that I will share you, the 12th one. This is a verse you've all probably memorized. When we're doing dua, we always invoke it. أَمَّنْ يُجِيبُ الْمُضَّرَّ Oh Allah, you're the one who relieves us and you grant us our prayers when we're distressed, when we're desperate and we have no way out. Oh Allah, you answer our prayer. This is a beautiful verse. How is this related to Al-Imam Al-Mahdi? Al-Imam Al-Mahdi during the Ghaybah, he experiences this state. That's why in Dua Nudbah you recite, Aynal al-Ladi. Where is the distressed one? When he does the dua, Allah answers him. Where is he? That's the Imam of your time, Al-Imam Al-Mahdi. You know why he's distressed? 
Do you have an idea of why Imam al-Mahdi is constantly in a state of distress? Yes, he has Allah, the haqq is with him. He doesn't need anything or anyone other than God. But why is he in a constant state of distress? I never fully understood this until 15 years ago. I went to Karbala right after the collapse of Saddam's regime. And one day we were taking assistance, food and some money to widows and orphans. I went myself with a friend to go to their homes. It's not even a house, it's like a hut. And their roof was basically set up with those aluminum panels. You've seen them? Now in the heat of Iraq, that traps heat. Like you can't even breathe inside those homes. That's how hot they become. I went, I'll never forget the scene. I went inside one of those homes, huts, rooms. There was a widow with six orphans. Two of them were disabled and partially paralyzed. They needed someone to carry them. Imagine a widow with six orphans, no one takes care of them, no one cares about them. So we, we took some food. I saw a small little stove, very small, you know, with the propane gas tank next to it. Someone had donated it to them and she was cooking. She was cooking for seven people, herself and six children. Do you know what their dinner was that day? I didn't want to offend her, but I just wanted to see what they go through. I told her, do you mind if I see what you're cooking today? She says, go ahead. I opened it, I saw three potatoes. Three potatoes. How many people? Seven people eating three potatoes. That's their food for the whole day. And what really amazed me, despite that poverty, despite not having the supporters, a supporter, despite seeing your kids like that. Imagine seeing two of your kids disabled and paralyzed. That's painful to the heart. Parents, you know how painful that is. Your child sleeps one night with fever, you can't sleep. Imagine if they have to go through that. What really amazed me and shocked me was her patience and iman. She never complained. Sayyid, why is Allah doing this to me? She was satisfied with the will of Allah. She thanked Allah. Believe me, on the day of judgment, we'll see people like that, like the stars, like the stars. You know how far the stars are from us? On the day of judgment, inshallah, when we go to paradise and Allah puts me in my level, I'll see that lady like the star above me because of her patience in such a trial. Maybe I can't handle such a trial. Maybe we can't handle something like that. But she was able to have that confidence and faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's amazing. Now the point is, after that day, I could not really enjoy the food that I would eat. Believe me, for days, for days, I was distressed. I'd sit on the table, I just couldn't enjoy it. Because those images would come to my mind. Now, imagine if you can see and know about every poor person on earth. And everyone that has to go through war, through difficulty. How would you feel? Imam al-Mahdi sees every act of injustice that happens on earth. You know what that does to his heart? Let's appreciate our Imam who goes through that, yet he cares about us. What a compassionate heart Allah has given him. But he goes through pain. He's the mufthar, he's the distressed. 
And so when he reappears in Masjid al-Haram, he makes the dua, oh Allah, today is the time. And Allah answers his prayer. Now is the time, go and remove all the misery and the pain from planet Earth. These are 12 verses that I wanted to share with you about Imam al-Mahdi. And remember, we have at least 120 verses. This is the Imam of your time. Let's hold on to him. And let's thank Allah for blessing us with such an Imam. The closer you are to the Imam of your time, the stronger you'll be. The difficulties of life will not make you collapse. So let's be thankful to our Creator, to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala.